Are you ready to turn your investments into retirement income? Listen in as Jeremy Kyle and his guests reveal ways you can make smarter retirement, investment, and tax planning decisions to achieve your ideal retirement. You will learn more about your money so you can feel better about your money and make better money decisions. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Retirement Revealed. I'm your host, Jeremy Kyle, and we're here to turn your retirement savings into a consistent income. Today, I'm joined by my producer, Eric Johnson. Eric, how are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. It's so good to be back with you, Jeremy. I, I enjoy these talks we have and all the education I get. Yeah, That's for sure. I love having you on the show, and it's nice and sunny by me today. I'm hoping it's the same by you. I have no idea. All my windows are covered. <laughs> there you go. I don't even want to look outside yet. The, uh, the pleasures of work from home that's means right. you don't know what work outside looks like. That's right, especially when you're in your basement. <laughs> I, I, I suppose. Well, I imagine what we'll be talking about today is something that our listeners uh, will get to do is enjoy outdoors in retirement. And yes. we want to help people out through their retirement. We have seven questions today that can make or break your retirement. All right, seven questions that'll make or break your retirement. That's exactly it. And the first question is, what will my retirement take-home pay be? And I imagine for you listening out there that you've read articles, you've taken guesses at this, and you're thinking, what do I need in retirement? When you're planning what you need in retirement, I'm gonna encourage you to absolutely ignore everything they say in the newspapers. You read the articles and they say, oh, you'll need 70 to 80% of your income in retirement. And I disagree. What you really need is 100% of what you're spending. It's it's mm. not really a matter of your income and just this random number of 70 to 80%. It's a matter of what your spending is. Imagine if you have 100,000 of income and yet you're maxing out your 401k, that's We'll just call it twenty-five thousand. We'll call it that for right now. Now you're down as you're already down to seventy-five percent of your income because you're mm-hmm. maxing that out. And something that's interesting is with working in uh, while you're working, you're paying your FICA, Social Security, Medicare taxes. You don't pay those taxes in retirement when you are pulling money out from your pension or your four hundred one k. That's close to eight percent. So you're already not spending this money. You're already not used to it. You don't need some generic formula. What you really need to do is find out 100% what am I spending today? And the easiest way to do that is look at your paycheck. I don't mm-hmm. know about you, Eric, but I got a feeling most of what shows up in your checking account gets spent. That, that's how it is for most people. It, it, that is how it is for most people. And the funny thing is you've, you've spoken about this before as far as the fallacy, if, you, if I would frame it that way, of the 70 to 80%, you've said 100% of your spending. And, and I, man, that made me think, and this was a podcast you did quite a while ago, but it made me think because I'm like, the only thing that, I mean, if you're not working from home, the only thing that you're changing is you don't have to pay for the gas to get back and forth to work. That's a very small, minor little thing that you're, yeah. you know, not having to spend on. So yeah, why wouldn't you spend the same amount of money basically? Right. If in reality, you've got, you know, 365 days of vacation, every day is a Saturday. So you have the opportunity to probably go out and spend more. And sure. what happens when you hit retirement is you're around your house looking at all the things that you didn't get to the last few years. Mm-hmm. And you're also thinking about all the different places you didn't get to go visit. So you're traveling more, you're doing more home improvement. So the beginning point is take a look at your take-home pay to see what you'll need in retirement. Now, what's interesting about your take-home pay is they 
They do not take out your taxes. They don't take out your health insurance. So you need to add that back in there. And I'm thinking a few people right now are saying, well, I, I got this figured out. I've got my budget. Uh, I'll tell you right now, I don't believe any budget anyone brings to me ever. What happens when you sit down and make a budget is you're thinking about all the perfect months where you have absolutely nothing going wrong and you just you know, make your dinners from your garden at home and you have zero spending of, of going out and eating and things like that. It's a perfect scenario that basically never happens. And there's people that do have QuickBooks and Mint.com kind of places where they've kept track of their spending. That I will slightly believe. I'll, I'll believe that, hey, if you track this for a few years, like down to the penny and you have this proof, that's an okay starting point. Uh, but then we'll ask them, what about your taxes? What about your healthcare costs? Hmm. And all the time they miss out on at least one of those probably both of those because again your take-home pay does not include your taxes and your health insurance so what you need to do is take a look at your take-home pay understand what that number is that's it should be an easy number to get to if you aren't believing me yet about that your money that shows up in your checking account actually gets spent take a look look at your bank accounts a year ago and take a look at them today if they're the same number guess what you spent every dollar that came in Mm -hmm. So that's why it's a starting point. But then you do need to add in your taxes, add in your healthcare costs. And those are two areas where you've likely not needed to care about so much anymore. You don't have to figure out your taxes quite often. It's already figured out for you with your withholding taxes. That's why you need a retirement-focused financial advisor. They've worked with dozens or hundreds of people and taken a look at what are your likely tax situations in retirement and what can you do to improve those tax situations in retirement? And they've also looked at, here's what the typical costs are in retirement. And those costs change. They might change before 65, after 65. If there's two of you on a plan, one of you on a plan, those things will change. And all you need to do is just plug those in. But the starting point is whatever it is you're spending. And the easiest way to find that starting point is to take a look at your monthly take on pay right now. Yeah, yeah, great tip. You get it. Well, the second part, uh, the next question is, how long will I live in retirement? And that's a question that a lot of people don't necessarily want to think about, but it's absolutely important. And it, actually, there's two pieces of it. When you're thinking about how long will I live in retirement, it's not just what's my life expectancy. It's actually, when do I start my retirement? If you talk to a 55-year-old and say, when will you retire? they'll probably tell you 65. If you talk to a 65 year old and say, when did you retire? They'll probably tell you 62. People often retire earlier than they expect. So if you're planning on a certain time frame for your retirement, I would encourage you to just maybe just take away three years. You're planning on 65, you're planning on 70, you're planning on 60. Set up your plan so that you're ready, let's call it three years at a time, because that's roughly what happens. People retire three years at a time. So that's kind of the beginning of your retirement. And then of course there is the end of your retirement, which is how long will you live? What's your life expectancy? And I don't know how many times, it's countless, people come in and they say, well, I, I don't want to live that long as if they have a choice, you know, mm -hmm. and hopefully they're not taking that choice themselves. <laughs> yeah. Or other times they say, uh, well, I'll just plan to live to 100 and then I'll be good to go. You know, we'll, we'll talk about kind of those things 
later on. But one of them, uh, a lot of people say, what are the odds I'll even make it to whatever that number is? Well, uh, you can find the odds. We encourage people, go out there right now. Well, not now if you're driving, but go out there to longevityillustrator.org and you get to plug in your birthday, your health status, if you're a smoker or not, and they will give you the odds. These are the odds of how long you might live to certain ages. And two things that are surprising to a lot of people is they often underestimate how long they might live in retirement. Most people are underestimating by even three or five years. So there's another tip. If you're thinking, what's your life expectancy? Just add five years because everyone's off. There you go. (laughs) So here you go. The, The easy way is plan for retiring three years before before you thought you would and plan for living five years longer than you thought you would because that's what the studies are showing is happening there. We'd encourage you to go out and get a little bit more detail than that, especially with the Longevity Illustrator and looking up your probabilities of making it to certain areas. But that's the second question. That's something you have to, to, to decide is how long will I live in retirement? What am I going to plan for? Uh, that's about all you're trying to solve. Do I have enough income and how long do I have that income for? So that we're looking at that in the first two questions. And there's really no, well, let me ask you, is there a downside to overestimating that? There is a downside. You might've looked at my notes because that's the next question. The next question is how do I enjoy life now, but still live comfortably later? That's what a lot of people are wondering. You've got one group that says, I'm gonna get old, I'm not gonna spend that much money, I better live while I'm young, have fun while I'm young. Then you got the other group that says, I'm completely worried about running out of money and retirement. And so our our encouragement, let's see, what's the song that live like you are dying? Oh yeah. Yeah, so we want you to live like you are dying, but also spend like you are not, right? Spend like you will live a long time. You got to balance out those two things where one way uh, people go about it, they say, well, I'm not going to live that long. So I'm just going to you know, go out in a blaze of glory, spend all my money right now. And then, like we said earlier, chances are you've actually lived longer than you thought. Then you got the other group that says, I'm just going to plan to 100, which happens like 5% of the time, if that. And they end up 95% of the time not spending enough money. They could have enjoyed that earlier. It's a delicate balance, but that's a balance you need to be focusing on and figuring out. Hmm. Yeah. You're probably looking for an answer. And the way to uh, to do that is to think about the different risks that are out there. Think about what happens if you did live a short life, if maybe your health does change. Well, go out and do the things that you will enjoy when you're younger. And yeah, you're right. When you're 60, when you're 65, you have a better capacity to do things than later on when you're 80, 85, 90. Mm -hmm. So you can put that into your planning. Oftentimes we're putting that into our planning where we say, let's plan for an extra amount of money. Let's plan for spending more the first 10 years or 15 years of your retirement. And then we don't have to plan for that. Kind of a, a problem with all those retirement calculators out there is they ask for $1 amount that you'll spend for the rest of your life. And that's just not how it works. Mm-hmm. You will spend more upfront uh, in the beginning of retirement than you will later on. You know, when you're widowed and you're 85, do you go on cruises and go out to dinner as much as when you're 65 and you're married and there's two of you there? 
No, you don't. And so just know that, realize that, and plan for it. Add an extra line item even for here's what we're going to do extra in the first five years or 10 years or 15 years. So when you plan for it and your plan still works, that allows you to enjoy your life right now. And at the same time, think about, well, what happens if I do live longer than I expect? If you live longer than you expect, your money has a chance to run out. And you perhaps do have that worry that I don't have enough money every month. So find the things that come in every single month and try to get more of it. Find the the pension and the social security and do what you can to make sure that it's a higher amount. So that yes, if you do live longer than average and perhaps you spent more than you could have afforded to at the beginning of your retirement, enjoy those memories and enjoy that higher regular monthly income that's coming out to you every single month. Hmm. All right, so that's number three. How do I enjoy life now, but still live comfortably later? These are things that you need to be thinking about planning for. I hope your advisor's walking you through these before you retire. But number four is how much income will my spouse lose when I die? I guess these middle ones are kind of the downer questions, right? (laughs) How long will I live in retirement and how much income will my spouse lose when I die? But that's a, that's a reality. Oftentimes when there's two of you starting retirement, there will only be one of you at the end of retirement because the other one passed away first. We would encourage you to use that, that resource we shared, longevityillustrator.org. Take a look at those probabilities. Say, what are the odds that each of us will make it to certain ages? And then also too, it'll give you an idea of not just what your own life expectancy is, but what's called the joint life expectancy. It's harder for two people to die than one person to die, which means one person probably dies first. And that report will show you, oh, on average, maybe there's a five-year time frame where you are going to be a widow. One of of you will be a widow. And now you know, okay, that's a time frame we need to plan for. Maybe you spend less at the beginning because there's two of you because you want to save up for later on when uh, there's only one of you. Or maybe, which is the way that we like to approach it, make those choices with your pension and your social security so that you really think of that widow, uh, keep that widow in mind. And we'll say widow because oftentimes it's the younger female spouse that Mm -hmm. lives longer. So that's why we often say uh, the 92-year-old widow is living on the decisions of her dead husband when he was 62. When you are approaching those ages where you get your one shot to make a decision on your pension, on your social security, don't think about here's how I max out those areas next month. It's how do we get the highest amount of lifetime income and especially how does this affect the spouse? So if you've already taken all those pensions, already taken those social securities, at the minimum, write out right now, here's how much income we get from each of those areas when there's two of us. Here's how much income we get if the first spouse dies, here's how much income we get if the other spouse dies, and take a look at that shortfall. You'll see that, oh my goodness, this person dies, and because of the pension and Social Security, we're missing out on three or 4000 a month. Okay, what's our plan to, to fix that? And maybe the other spouse, maybe it's only two or 3000 a month that it's down. When you write those down, you'll understand how much shortfall is going to be there for that surviving spouse, and then you've got the opportunity to make a plan for it. Do you have, I know that you use software. I know that you have a lot of systems in place. Are you able to put that into a program to kind of see what that would look like 
in different scenarios. You know, if somebody were to, you know, pass at 70 or 75 versus 80 and leave a spouse at that point. Yeah, I like where you're thinking there. And that's exactly what we look at. A, a lot of times people hit retirement and they don't think they need life insurance anymore because they say, oh, that's for replacing my, my working income. Well, no, it's for replacing income. When you lose an income because you die, life insurance can come in and help that out. So we'll plug into the system and say, uh, we see this, this shortfall and let's pretend that somebody dies right now or five years or 10 years from now or 30 years from now. Well, honestly, if you die beginning part of retirement, that's a tougher row for the, uh, the spouse. They've got longer to live without your income. Mm -hmm. So when we take a look at it, we might see, oh my goodness, there's a shortfall of $3,000 a month, whatever that number is. And because of that, you ended up using $500,000 more of your investments than you planned for. Well, perhaps you don't want your investments to be on the hook for that. Maybe you go and buy the insurance to be on the hook for that. And oftentimes you're recommending that, hey, you've got this shortfall and that shortfall is huge in the beginning part of retirement. Maybe you ought to have a 10 or 15 or 20 year term policy because that covers your big expense, your big problem of what if somebody dies early in retirement. And that's how we come up with that number. We say, what's the impact to the retirement if somebody dies at these ages? And that kind of tells you what your risk is. What's the financial impact? Well, mm -hmm. you might want to insure that with a term policy. And that term policy is going to be uh, cheaper than some level of permanent policy. And it's going to cover when you really need it. Somebody dies the first five years of retirement, that's a bigger financial hit to the surviving spouse. Somebody dies the last five years of retirement, uh, that's less of a hit because the other spouse is kind of close behind, you know, and by that point in time, we are probably spending less. So you've, you've just got to uh, plan that out. Look at the probabilities of when somebody might pass on, find what that shortfall is, that survivor gap, we call it, that difference between when there's two of you and only a survivor, and make a plan, whatever that plan is. Maybe it's your home equity that you use up. Maybe you don't plan on spending some of your own investments for a while so that the surviving spouse can do it, or maybe it's insurance. It's Jeremy Kyle here, and I know you're listening to the Retirement Reveal Podcast because you want to learn more about making great retirement decisions. I've created a free video course for you to do just that. Head over to 5stepretirementplan.com and sign up to receive this video training right in your email inbox. We broke down our five-step retirement plan into bite-sized videos so you can get started on the retirement, investment, and tax planning you need to create a consistent retirement income. Go to 5stepretirementplan.com, use the number or spell it out, you'll get there either way. 5stepretirementplan.com. Thanks for listening, and now for the rest of the show. All right, so now that we've talked about uh, some of those topics, let's move on to making some some more money and making some more money by saving on taxes. And the first one, a lot of people don't uh, think of it this way. This is gonna be number five. How can we leverage Social Security to lower our lifetime taxes? And you're probably thinking, what do you mean Social Security and taxes? What, what does that have to do with anything? Well, Social Security has a different tax situation than your pension mm -hmm. and then your traditional IRAs. When you take out Social Security, at the max, 85% of it is taxable, right? So that, that means if you have $10,000 in your social security that year, the most that will show up on your income tax return is $8,500. That's a huge benefit 
That means part of your Social Security will be tax-free tax for the federal income tax. I'm in Wisconsin. A lot of other states are like this as well. But all of Social Security in Wisconsin is income tax-free for Wisconsin. So if you have a way to get income and at least part of it is tax-free at the federal level and all of it is tax-free at the state level, you probably want to increase that income as best you can. And you do have the option to increase your Social Security. The way you do it is choosing when you file. If you file at 62 or you file at 70, it will be 76% higher if you file at 70. And I'm not saying that that's exactly what you need to do, but you do need to account for, hey, we've got this income that has a better tax situation than other forms of income, especially your pension, especially traditional IRAs. Mm -hmm. If there's a way, if we should be increasing our Social Security, and oftentimes you probably do want to wait on your Social Security bit because of what we said earlier, people do live longer than they expect. And the downside risk of living longer is a big deal. And here comes Social Security to help you out if you do live a longer situation. So many people, when they're making that Social Security decision, they are ignoring the tax benefit of Social Security. This is one of your better tax situations. Try to get more of it by just leveraging the way Social Security works out and keep that. When you're making your Social Security decision, keep that tax situation in mind where it might encourage you to wait a little bit longer just because you want to boost up this better tax income that's there. Yeah. Do, do you find that people don't really think about this when they're in their early 50s, mid 50s, when they're they're ready to plan for retirement, but they don't think about that being a key piece of uh, you know information that's going to fit together with all those other puzzle pieces? Yeah. People don't think about that. A lot of people right now think that Social Security might not be around. We disagree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the way that laws are written out, the Social Security will be there. It just might be a lower dollar amount than you expected. But when you hear Social Security is going bankrupt, you're thinking it's going to zero. It's not. It may be a 20 or 25% pay cut. And the way I approach that is saying, hey, if they are going to let this run out to the point where you have a 20 or 25% pay cut, I like to plan for that and say, I'm going to do the reverse. I'm going to bump up my Social Security by 20 or 25% so that I'm, I'm prepared for. Mm-hmm. And maybe I come out even if and when they change Social Security around. So that's, uh, that's the way we uh, approach yeah. it. But definitely when you're, when you're hitting retirement, when you're hitting 60 and 62 and 65, you're really thinking at that point about kind of your monthly and day-to-day Social Security. I, I, I don't see anyone accounting for taxes and when should I make my decision? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this might even just be, hey, I can qualify for Social Security and I'm gonna file in you know October. You know what, uh, just wait till January, right? File till January so that this year has nothing to do with Social Security and next year you get the full year of Social Security and uh, you get that full benefit of how the income's set up. That's a, a common thing we'll see that, okay, you're close enough, but just push it over to the edge because I'll tell you that Social Security, when you're on Social Security, the tax situation, while it can be better, gets very, very complicated. So sometimes it's kind of nice to say, uh, push it off for another year. And that might give you the opportunity to do some of the things that we're, we're gonna talk about later on, where maybe because you don't have social security for this specific year, it gives you one last chance to lower your tax bill by paying some taxes uh, upfront and early. All right. All right, so we're, we're running down here on taxes where number six is how do I arrange my taxes to get more deductions? Back in 2017, a lot of people we worked with had itemized deductions. They were in a place where they had 
mortgage interest, they had their state and local property taxes, their income state income taxes. A lot of people we work with are great givers, and especially the people that are in the, the giving category. I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk to you right now, where chances are pretty good, unless you're giving away 15,000, 20,000, you know, really big dollar amounts per year, chances are pretty good that you might no longer be doing these itemized deductions. Uh, you're probably falling into the standard deduction. At this point in time, when you are a retired couple, when you're both over 65, it's basically like 30 grand that you need in itemized deductions before you even get the benefit from that. You're just better off with the, the standard deductions. So, so many people say, oh, what, what are the chances? What, what can I even do uh, with that? I can't do anything with that. Well, there's two big things you can do. One of them is called bunching, where if you just go through the motions and you consistently have 10 grand a year of your property and state taxes, that's the maximum now at this, at this point in 2022 that you can deduct, and you have 15 grand a year even of your charity, well, you add that up to 25,000 and you're not bumping over the into the area where you get any benefit tax-wise from those charitable deductions. But just imagine for one year, you still have that 10,000 from property and state taxes, but instead of doing a regular year of 15 grand, you do a double year of 30,000. Well, now 30,000 of charity in that one year, plus the 10,000 in your deductible income and in, in state property taxes, now you're 40. Now you're way over into the itemized deduction area. Mm -hmm. And you can do this where you can bunch together. If you're somebody that's giving away good amounts of money, 10,000, 15,000, even beyond it, but that's a range where it's like you used to get itemized and now you don't. You can still use this idea called bunching. You, you bring your charitable deductions, especially together into one tax year, because you end up coming out ahead. You have standard deductions one year, itemize the next year, and you just keep on flip-flopping that way, and you come out ahead. You get more uh, deductions by doing that. And some people are thinking, oh my goodness, I'm already giving away ten dollars or $15,000 a year. Why would I give away more? Well, you take a look at it, and if you can just rearrange things to get a, a tax deduction, that's usually a nice choice. You think of the churches and the charities you support, and you probably went through your entire year doing your normal things. And what you could do, one idea, is you get towards November, December, and you basically prepay next year. And it's almost like you, uh, you give money to the charities every other year. But mm -hmm. you do it in a way that they still get the same dollar amount. So they end up getting the same dollar amount, and yet you get the itemized deductions. That's a great way to go about bunching. Yeah, and technically and, it's not more, right? You're not giving away more, you're just giving it away sooner. Right, you're just rearranging how it, it goes about there. Yeah. Uh, some people hear that, and they say, if I give, I normally give 500 or or $1,000 to this one charity, if I give them double this year, next year they're going to expect it to happen again. <laughs> and they'll be sorely disappointed when they get zero, right? Or, or sometimes uh, people think of it like, oh, I've got a small nonprofit, a, a small church or charity, and if I gave them another ten or 15000 you know, that really throws their their budget off, where they look at it here in this one year and say, hey, we got so much money, let's go out and do something different, maybe spend it in a way we normally wouldn't have, and then all of a sudden they run dry, they're kind of missing out on that money for the next year. And so sometimes people love the idea of bunching, they just don't like the idea of the charity not getting it on the, the normal charity schedule that normally they, mm -hmm. they would get it from you. The way to do that is something we've talked about before, donor advised funds. 
where it's really separating when do I get the tax deduction from when does the charity get the money. So you could be there in November, December, and say, I'm getting close to itemized. What I'm going to do is gift some extra money. Hopefully it's things like stocks or mutual funds that have gone up in value. There's some extra benefits there. But you can gift money directly to a place called a donor advised fund, and you get that tax deduction the year you did it. The money's still in there. It's a fund. And then you can end up giving money out on whatever basis, whatever regularity you want to have. So it's almost like the the church, the charity, they don't really know the difference. If you're sending out $500 a month, they still get the same $500 a month. It's just you've using this chosen to use this vehicle called a donor advice fund to bunch together when do you get the tax deduction. Mm-hmm. That's the first part of how do you arrange your taxes to get more deductions. That's great. The next part, yeah, it's, it's just a if you're going to do it, why not get some extra tax benefit? And I figure what I like to encourage Hey, if you're making uh, whatever you're saving a thousand or two thousand bucks or more in your taxes, maybe keep some of yourself and, and give a little bit more to charity, right? Why not share the wealth that your yeah. your smart planning is doing? Another piece, and this is is huge for anyone that is uh, seventy and a half or older. That seventy and a half age, you probably remember that from require minimum distributions. Mm-hmm. That's the age that you are forced to take money out from your traditional accounts. They moved it to seventy two. Now they're talking about even moving it to 75. That's not a, a law yet uh, here in early 2022, but it might be. Who knows? They might uh, pop up with that at any point in time. But they still kept the age of 70 and a half for these things called qualified charitable distributions. When you reach that age and you take the money from your IRA and send it directly to the charity, that is a better tax deal than when it goes from the IRA to you, to the charity. And Two of the big reasons is that when money from an IRA shows up in your pocket, you end up putting on your tax form. And another reason is that less people are able to itemize. So you might have this extra amount show up in your tax form, which might affect your Medicare premium taxes. It might affect Hmm. uh, how your Social Security gets taxed. And then you end up not being able to deduct it if you're in a standard uh, deduction area. You know, that's, that's a hurt. But if you go directly from the IRA to the charity, that's a benefit because it doesn't even bother showing up on your tax form to begin with. Nice. So that's something you can still do at 70 and a half. A lot of people ask, why do we bother doing that at 70 and a half when I'm not forced to yet for another 18 months? And we tell them, hey, this is going to reduce your amount that ends up being part of a required minimum distribution. And we run into so many people. I'm thinking of one couple right now. They were taking out $1,000 a month from their traditional accounts because they needed it for income. We're going through with them. They said, well, we give about $1,000 a month to charity. Well, great. I can't wait till you turn 70 and a half because as soon as that happens, the $1,000 a month that was coming from the IRA to you to charity is now going to go directly to charity. And that's a huge benefit for them tax-wise. And down the road, they're still you know 18 months away. Yeah, It'll be even better because they would have been forced to do it anyways. And they're able to get that tax benefit and satisfy that other rule called required minimum distributions. So keep those qualified charitable distributions, QCDs, keep those in mind. Uh, even if you're not 72 yet, even exactly at 70 and a half, you want to keep that in mind. Yep. All right. Great tip. You got it. Now we got the, the, the conclusion here, number seven, which is how can I use Roth conversions to lower my lifetime tax bill? And that's really what you're uh, looking for. A lot of people are used to retirement or I'm sorry, used to while they're working, Let's just reduce last year's tax bill. Like what can I do really quick to make April not so painful? 
you hit retirement and you've got a huge ability on how do you control your taxes. You can take out money in December and spend it in January. That's two different tax years. You can take money from your traditional or your Roth or your brokerage or your savings account. That's four different tax situations. You have so much control over that and a lot of people don't take that control. We want you to control the tax decisions that you have. And I, I just listened to a podcast earlier today and the person said, how many people have actually calculated their lifetime tax bill, right? If, if, if you did, you'd be very depressed for the rest of the day. <laughs> a lot of our clients, we look at me and we say, it looks like you're gonna spend a million dollars on taxes over the next 35 years. So that's ridiculous. That's such a huge number. Well, think about it. Uh, you've got inflation growing and taxes growing. And if you do have a 30 or 35 year time frame in retirement, that could, that could easily be the case. Mm -hmm. And so that's maybe a thing you ought to look at. Look at your retirement planning software, ask your advisor, what is my lifetime tax bill? You're not gonna like the answer, but then ask them, what can we do? How can we lower my lifetime tax bill? And you'd be surprised. We see this all the time, a 20%, 30%, 40% even sometimes of here's what the projection looks like. Here's the savings of that large amount by how do you put this all together? When you put together the thoughts of let's leverage our social security, maybe delay social security for a little bit of time, and then use the Roth conversions. Say, when we've got this opportunity to pay taxes at a lower rate, we wanna do that. So that's how you lower your lifetime tax bill. You project out, here's what my tax situation might be at different ages. Let me find the years when it's looking to be a lower tax situation and let me pay those lower tax rates. That's something that we're looking at with our clients. Uh, you have a 30 or 35 year retirement. We're gonna have basically 30 or 35 fake tax returns that are looking at what your tax situation might be. And that'll give us an idea of what your tax rate's gonna look like. And that'll say, let's go through and pay taxes at a low rate. Let's pay taxes at 12% instead of 15. Let's pay taxes at 22 instead of 25. When you get there, it adds up. And then if you pay less taxes at the beginning, you ended up growing that money later on. You end up coming out ahead because you're, you're able to keep the taxes yourself and let that money still keep on growing for you. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, well, we've thankfully had the ability to work with hundreds of people on their retirement planning, looked at their tax returns, looked at their investments, seeing what they're worried about, seeing the areas where people can come out ahead. And we wanted to put this together. This is a guidebook uh, where if you go to our website, kylefp.com, K-E-I-L-F-P.com, in the top right corner is resources. Click on that and you'll be able to download the guidebook. We've got a lot more information. I think it's 24 pages, a lot of information mm. there for you to, to say, okay, what are the seven questions I need to know and plan for? Because these can make or break your retirement. We give you some tips in there and there you go. Check out that guidebook, seven questions that can make or break your retirement. All righty, sir. Thank you so much. This is fantastic today. Yeah. Thank you, Eric. And thank you for listening to the Retirement Revealed podcast. We believe if you know more about your money, you will feel better about your money and you will make better money decisions. Thank you for listening to the Retirement Revealed podcast. Click on the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit retirement-revealed.com to learn more. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Kyle Financial Partners. Kyle Financial Partners does not provide legal, accounting, or tax advice. 
consult your attorney or tax professional. Representatives have general knowledge of the Social Security tenants. For complete details on your situation, contact the Social Security Administration. Kyle Financial Partners is a part of the Thrivent Advisor Network, a registered investment advisor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.